0: Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator... Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to cynthiahyatt.com. That's C I N T H I A H I E T T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and I am so glad that you joined me today. And we're going to do a two-part series again. So this first part is going to be, this is entitled, Do You Need a Kinder, Gentler Relationship? Do you need a kinder, gentler relationship? Well, I know we need a kinder, gentler world, don't we? So you know, if you've been listening to me at all, that I like to always start with a reference verse or how I kind of put together these messages. And so this is Luke, chapter six thirty-five out of the Message Bible, and it says, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity, the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind, you be kind. And I I love that last part of this verse. It says, live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. So a kinder, gentler relationship starts with me, starts with you. I, we teach people how to treat us, Now, for the most part, there's always going to be those who are going to act just the way they they want without conscience. But for the most part, I teach others how to treat me primarily by the way I treat myself and by the way I treat them. So I get the best version out of most people because of how I talk to myself and how I talk to them. And when I mean talk to myself, I mean my own internal world. So we're going to focus first on our inner world and how it affects our outer world. So what we'll discuss and learn is what I call word and way, and that is the words we use and the way we use them. So we're going to jump right in here regarding this internal world in which we live. And I always like to give you latest current research or information. And so this is going to get a little bit technical. And this is directly from a book called uh, Words Can Change Your Brain. And it's one of my favorite books. They also, it's a neuroscientist and a, a therapist. They've also done a book called God Can Change Your Brain. And it's amazing that they are showing what the Bible has been telling us all along, what God has been telling us. And this research indicates that the most current neuroscientific research reports that by holding a positive and optimistic thought in your mind, you stimulate frontal lobe activity. Now, this area includes specific language centers that connect directly to the motor cortex, and this is responsible for moving you into action. So I know this is going to be a little technical, but I think you'll find it fascinating. So as this research has shown, the longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect the other areas of your brain. And functions in the parietal lobe start to change, which change your perception of yourself and the people you interact with. Now, what's so fascinating about this research is that they've done MRI scans and they are able to see how different parts of the brain, like when I say the parietal lobe or the prefrontal lobe, don't, don't worry about that. What they're, say, what they're showing is that they can see where different activity is and the results of how people think ignites different parts of the brain. And so they go on to say that a positive view of yourself will bias you towards seeing the good in others, whereas a negative self-image will incline you towards suspicion and doubt. And that's really, really important to realize because we know the saying perception is reality. So a positive view of yourself. Now, this is not one that is in denial. This is looking at myself the way that God looks at me. He looks at me with grace and mercy and kindness. So a positive view of of yourself will bias you towards seeing the good in others, whereas a negative self-image will incline you toward more suspicion and doubt and skepticism, criticism, these types of things. So what they have found is that over time, the structure of your thalamus will also change in response to your conscious words, thoughts, and feelings. And they believe that the thalamic changes affect the way in which we perceive reality. Now, what they've also found is that that thalamus, that part of the brain, that's also the part of the brain where we actually emotionally experience God. So this is a very important thing to understand, that the way we think, the thoughts that we choose to think on, the words that that we use, create perceptions, and so it doesn't mean that we're trying to create some reality that that isn't based in truth. It means that we're being responsible for our internal world and how we think. And we have Philippians four eight that tells us very specifically: think on those things that are good, that are righteous, that are good repute. It goes on and on in this way. So it, so further. In this report, they give this example, and they say that if you repetitiously focus on the word peace, saying it aloud or silently, you will begin to experience a sense of peacefulness in yourself and in others. And the thalamus will respond to this incoming message of peace, and it will relay the information to the rest of the brain. And then pleasure chemicals like dopamine will be released, and the reward system of your brain is stimulated which means that anxieties and doubts fade away and your entire body will relax. Now, if you do these practices consistently over time, your sense of compassion will grow and you become a kinder, gentler person in the way that you respond and see the world. So, in fact, some of the most recent studies show that this kind of exercise will increase the thickness of your neocortex neocortex, and that This this shrinks the size of the amygdala. Now, if you've listened to any of these shows, you know we talk about the amygdala a lot, and that's the part of the brain that is the fight, fight, or freeze center. This is what puts you in survival mode. So what they're saying is that when you practice thinking on these words, such as peace and love and mercy and grace, it increases the thickness of your neocortex and shrinks the size of the amygdala, which is that fight-or-flight mechanism in our brain. So their own brain scan research shows that concentrating and meditating on positive thoughts, feelings, and outcomes can be more powerful than any drug in the world, especially when it comes to changing old habits, behaviors, and beliefs. And to the best of their knowledge, the entire process is driven by the language-based processes of the brain. So this is really important when we think about changing behavior. When we think about how we can affect our external world, we always know we have to get a handle on our internal world. And humans are, the whole way that we think and interact is language-based. And so the language we use when we talk to one another, the language we use when we talk to ourselves, has a profound effect on the way that we perceive ourselves and others. So by changing the way you use language, you change your consciousness. And this, in turn, influences every thought, feeling, and behavior in your life. So what I know for sure is that relationships are unavoidable. Now I know that there are many people that are trying to avoid relationships and that has a lot to do with the level of pain that they've experienced and I can understand that myself personally. I've had certainly pain in many relationships that have caused me sometimes to say, I'm done. I don't want to do relationship anymore. But you have to understand God has created us as social relational creatures and we cannot deny our design. So we relate to our world daily and the difference is if we relate with intimacy and connectedness or if we relate negatively that is void of intimacy and connectedness. See relationships are going to be either positive or negative but it's up to us to determine whether or not we put the effort into creating positive relational dynamics with any given individual because unhealthy and unsuccessful relationships can be avoided but not without some effort on our part see, I can only do my side of the relationship. I can't do both sides. I'm limited to to only my side of the street. So when relationships aren't working well, we are hurt and we tend to want to shut down and be done with relationships altogether. But since we know that relationships are unavoidable, what we are really saying is that we wish to avoid intimacy. So what is the difference between relating and intimacy? Well, there's a basic human need to know someone and to be known by someone. That is intimacy, to be known and to know someone. Now, there are levels within intimacy, of course, and the deepest hurts happen when someone who we thought we knew us, thought we thought knew us, turns out to have not known us at all, or the inverse, we really thought we knew someone only to find out we didn't know him at all. So sometimes we mistake relating with Intimacy. And I, I might have to deal with and manage the fact that someone doesn't want to know me or doesn't have the capacity or doesn't want to put the work into knowing me. Because when you want to know somebody, it also means you need to know yourself. So th- these are some of the reasons that we avoid intimacy. Now, Webster's Dictionary, I love words, I have to tell you, defines relate as to connect, as in thought or meaning, to have some connection or relation to. So this general definition can mean anything from relating to the waitress at the coffee shop to what should be my most intimate relationship relating to my significant other or spouse. So intimate is defined as most private or personal, very close or familiar, deep, thorough. These are vastly different experiences. See, the most meaningful and healing relationships must have intimacy. Now, we can have many relationships on a multitude of levels without necessarily being emotionally intimate. And in my practice, I work at dispelling the myths that people create for themselves by saying, they're done with the relationships, they're not going to do them in the future. So the choice is not whether to have relationship, but whether to have a positive, intimate relationship with others. And so if you don't put the work into and take the risk of developing positive, intimate relationships, what you will be left with is relationships that are negative and void of intimacy. So the question is, Will I choose to relate positively with intimacy or will I attempt to avoid relating only to get negative relationships that are void of intimacy? So the question is, and this is what we're going to be doing in the next segment, is what is your relationship like with yourself? How do you relate to you? How do you talk to you? What are the words you choose to use when you talk to yourself? What is the way in which you talk to you or think toward yourself? Because the way we talk to ourselves involves the way we think. How our thoughts become real is what the same neuroscientist studies have found to be extremely powerful. That the more we think on something, the more real it becomes. And so we're going to talk more about needing and wanting and having a kinder, gentler relationship. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me again in the next hour as we discuss kind and gentle relationships. I hear the whispers in my voice. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. And I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Today we are talking about. Do you need a kinder, gentler relationship? And one of the reasons we want kinder, gentler relationships is because of the hardwiring of humans. And we understand, as we talked in the first segment, the power of words and the language center of the brain and how we think and the words we choose, the way we talk to ourselves, the way we talk to others, and whether or not that is going to incite that amygdala, that fight, fight, or flee, freeze part of our brain that causes us to be on high defense that lowers our emotional reasoning and regulation, our ability to emotionally regulate, that causes us not to have rational thinking, but causes us to be in complete survival. So one of the ways we, we stay out of the survival mode is we are kinder and gentler toward ourselves and towards others. So when we were talking about language, it's very important to realize that how God has created people, but also his, his creation. And so I like to always give you some interesting anecdotal information. So all living organisms communicate in one way or another. But the question remains, are humans superior to animals when it comes to communication? And they say yes and no. But I found this great example of other creatures and how they communicate. And so there's this one example of how creatures can communicate in extremely high-functioning ways, and these are ants. So for example, ants have 10,000 neurons in their little brain. That's only one millionth of the number in the human brain, and yet they can coordinate social activity more effectively than any society in the world. As a group, they're more peaceful, and when attacked, they are far more efficient at waging war. They understand what their societal rules are, and they can be very creative when it comes to building and maintaining their communities. So compared to communication strategies of ants, human communicational abilities pale. But do ants have intimacy? Is there deep emotional connection? Well, communication that is not language-based is going to be void of intimacy. So what makes human communication unique? See, it's not just the quality of our speech, but it's the quantity. We use tens of thousands of facial expressions, body movements, and words. And we can combine them in endless, commun- endless combinations that allow us to express different nuances of meaning and emotion. Even the simple alteration of rate and rhythm of our speech can change the context of what we say, the way it will be processed in the listener's brain, and the way it affects them as to whether it calms their brain down or excites their brain in either a positive way or a negative way. So again, we're back to word and way. The words I use can be incendiary, inciting, having many implications and meaning. They create context. They can be insightful, helpful, comforting, or informing. The way includes tone, rate, rhythm, volume, inflection, the amount of words, my facial expression, my body language. So just as you're listening to my voice right now, I can say the same words in a quote-unquote way, which directly affects your experience. So for example... I can say, the sun is bright. I can say, the sun is bright. I can say, the sun is bright. I said the exact same statement with completely different rate, tone, and inflection. And you experienced it differently. Now, this statement has no real verbal consequence. This is where it gets complicated. But what happens with the statement that has verbal consequence? For example, I need to talk to you. What if I say it like this? I need to talk to you. What if I say, I need to talk to you? Or how about if I say, I need to talk to you? Very powerful in how they're delivered. Or I can say, the dog is dead. The dog is dead. The dog is dead. This is how complicated human communication can be. How careful we need to be about the words that we are using, how we are saying them the tone we are using, the inflection, our facial expressions, our body language. Because what happens is we have this very complicated brain that is highly affected by all this stimulation. So recognizing and experiencing how these statements affect me externally helps me to understand the power of my own inner speak and how I affect myself internally. So the first way to create a kinder, gentler relationship with others is develop this within myself. So remember, I say this all the time to you: if you don't do the internal work, the external won't work. I'm gonna say that again: if you don't do the internal work, the external won't work. Now, this is when I was talking earlier in the first segment about the brain and the different structure and the different places of the brain. There, we talked about the thalamus and the book uh, "How God Can Change Your Brain." uses different ways through MRI scans to identify how the brain is affected differently. And the thalamus is, is in the center of our brain, and this is a walnut-shaped structure. And it relays sensory information about the outside world to the other parts of the brain. And when we imagine something, this information is also sent to the thalamus. So these researchers suggest that the thalamus treats the thoughts and fantasies in the same way it processes sounds tastes, images, and touch, and it doesn't distinguish between inner and outer realities. So thus, if you think you are safe, the rest of your brain assumes that you are safe. But if you ruminate on imaginary fears or self-doubt, guilt, or shame, your brain presumes that there may be a real threat in the outside world, or that everything you're doing is wrong or bad. So our language-based thoughts shape our consciousness. And consciousness shapes the reality we perceive. So choose your words wisely because they become as real as the ground on which you stand. So this is imperative that we understand how magnificently magnificently and wonderfully God has made humans and the power of our brain. Now remember, we've talked before that our brain is an organ just like any organ in the body and our brain is to work for us. We don't work for our brain. And we've talked in another show, the the show on Is Peace Possible? We talked about how our brain has a tendency to always go to the negative and always take us to the place of the most pain. And then we think on that, and then we have more pain. So it's imperative that when our brain is talking to us and generating thoughts, that we are willing to challenge those thoughts and that we decide what we are going to think on. Because we know that for a man, as a man thinketh within, so he is. So what do we do? We need to turn down the negative talk with changing our inner dialogue and we learn to care for who God cares about. I know I've said this a million times, but I can't say it enough. You are the primary caregiver of you. God gave you to you to care for who he loves. So if you want a kinder, gentler relationship with others, you need to start with you. Because God cares for you and he wants you to care about you as much as he cares about you. So when we look at our internal home, and what we're going to focus on in this show is mostly the internal world, and next week we're going to talk about affecting the external world. So let's talk about what your internal home is like. Is there peace? Is there love? Is there grace? Or is there abuse and anger and arguing and accusing and neglect, condemnation, hurt or abandonment inside of you? See, if the enemy can get you to abuse yourself through words, through thoughts, then you're doing his job for him. and he sits back, he watches the wreckage and damage. So join me again in the next segment as we continue to talk about a kinder, gentler relationship. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today. And before we start, let me just encourage you to visit me on Facebook. And that's Cynthia Hyatt Inc. That's I-N-C for incorporated. And my name is spelled C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T. I also love it when you visit my website. I love to hear from you about the ideas that you have for other shows or comments that you have about the things that you're learning. So make sure you visit me. And let me know what your ideas are. So, we are talking today about this idea of having a kinder, gentler relationship and the reasons for that, and how imperative it is that if we are to have a kinder, gentler relationship with other people, we need to be having that with ourselves. So, we left off in this last segment saying, What is your internal home like? Is there peace in your internal world? Is there love? Is there grace? Or is there abuse or anger or arguing or accusations? Is there neglect? Is there condemnation? Because if the enemy can get you to abuse yourself, you're doing his job for him. And he just sits back and he watches how hard you work at doing his job. So we want to ask ourselves, would Jesus talk like that to me? Would he talk like that to you? Would you talk like that to someone else? So the way you talk to yourself, the words you choose, the words you use, would you use those with other people? And see, what we find is that the more we practice talking in a particular way to ourself, the more automatic it is as we talk with other people. This is why when I'm working with uh, people that are in a dating time in their life, and I always say to them, at least give 90 days before you actually think you may know the person. Because by the end of about 90 days, we start to really show our true colors. This is when we're not able to fake it as well. This is when the person that's inside starts to show outside. This is why McDonald's has a 90-day probationary period before they give benefits, right? Because they know that after 90 days, they've probably seen a pretty good view of this person's work ethic. So you want to give 90 days as a dating ethic or a friendship ethic. How, those 90 days have a lot to do with revealing who I truly am. So we want to think about, it's amazing how we talk to ourselves, how we treat ourselves. We might be mortified if we did to someone else what we do to ourselves. So why is it okay to do to me what I wouldn't do to others? So we have this famous saying, what would Jesus do? So what would Jesus do in relating to me, that's the example that I want to follow. So, why do I practice kindness and gentleness toward myself? Well, if I don't care for me, others suffer. And that's imperative for you to understand that you do affect your external world, whether you realize it or not. And think about times when you have found out that someone was sick and how it affected you. You thought, oh my gosh. I didn't realize how much I cared about that person or how much I I took that person for granted or how much I needed that person. And so whether or not you think you have any import in this world, what God says to you is that you do and that you are valuable. And so it's important that you understand that you are valuable to God with tremendous resources. And see, we are more willing to take care of the planet and all its resources than us. We're more willing to take care of animals many times and what we will do for ourselves or for others so we have this tendency to want to take care of the exterior and not the interior but you are his child and god is depending on you to care for you so i express and produce outside of me what is inside of me so think about the verse that 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 verse talks about the greatest command is that you lay your life down for another well many times i don't want to lay my life down for myself I want to walk on top of myself, actually. And so I need to work on practicing agape love toward myself. It's sacrificial. Kindness and gentleness is sacrificial. I don't want to do it sometimes. See, my flesh always leads me to death. It's hard to be nice to myself. But if Jesus is willing to be with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then I need to take responsibility for being with me 24-7. See, if I'm wanting other people to be with me 24-7, but I don't want to be with me 24-7... That doesn't really make any sense, does it? See, I can't produce outside of myself what's not inside. So I need to honor my master to care for what he cares for, to care about what he cares about. That means all people. That means me. So love is feeling and intention put into action. So again, how do I practice kindness and gentleness? Well, I follow the master's way. And see, love means do no harm. But it does not mean cause no pain. So the easiest way is to go back to my internal home. If my relationships are contentious, argumentative, stressful, filled with defensiveness, criticism, negativity, I may need to ask myself, what's going on in my own internal world? And how can I change that first? This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me again as we finish up this first part of a kinder, gentler relationship. I hear the whispers in my throat. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. And I am Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm so glad that you joined me today. And again, I always want to encourage you to visit me at my website, which is cynthiahyatt.com. That's C I N T H I A H I E T T. Um, These are also on podcasts on SoundCloud. They are also on my website if you did not get a chance to listen to the entire show. So, we are talking about a kinder, gentler relationship. And do you need a kinder, gentler relationship? And I know I always need kinder, gentler relationships. And best place for me to start with having a kinder, gentler relationship is being kinder and gentler with me. And we talked at length in the, in the previous segments of this show that I can produce outside of myself, what is not inside. So if I'm having really difficult times in my relationships, if my relationships are becoming more argumentative, more negative, more reactionary, defensive, uh, critical, Uh, distancing, these types of avoiding, I might want to look at what's going on with me because I really can only do my side of the street. I can only do my side of the relationship. And my side of the relationship with another person starts with how I relate to me because how I relate to me is always brought out in how I relate to them. So when we look at the easiest way to start changing a relationship is I start with me first. I lead by example. This is the way that Christ leads as well. So I want to ask myself, am I treating myself in a way that would honor Jesus? What is my internal home like? Because he lives there. He lives inside of me. Does he enjoy living in me? Is, there, is it hospitable in my internal home? And we talked at length in the previous segments about the power of words and how our brain reacts to words and that our brains experience the world and give us a perception of our world and ourself through language. And then we also were very, um, I was very adamant about understanding that if the enemy can get you to abuse yourself and talk trash to yourself, you're doing his job for him. So the question is not whether or not you're worth taking care of. That has already been established at the cross. It's are you willing to take care of you? Are you willing to relate to yourself in a kind, gentle, merciful, gracious way? See, it's not about a feeling. It doesn't come naturally. It's sacrificial. The hardest person to be kind to is the one that you are with all the time, and that would be yourself. And that is one of the most difficult places to start is with me. I would rather be nice to everybody else, take care of everybody else, chat with everybody else, you know, say kind, nice things to them, help them, serve them, but don't make me do me. So we have to be very diligent about being willing to start with ourself. So the question may be, to you, why are you not worth taking care of? And so, you know, famous saying, how's that working for you? Or what fruit is being produced in your life by treating yourself in this manner? So how do I care for and love myself? What does that really look like? How do I be a kinder, gentler version to myself? Well, we can look at Philippians I mean, I'm mean, i sorry, 1 Corinthians 13. This is an example of, of how God loved us and how God wants us to love ourselves. And he is kind. It says love is patient. Love is kind. So what is the outcome of kindness and gentleness? What fruit is produced? Well, life. See, Jesus is alive because love cannot be killed. Even people who are physically dead do not cease to be loved. Sometimes it helps to look at the outcome. What happens if I love or care for myself? What happens if I'm kinder and gentler to myself? What what behaviors might occur? How do I feel? And what happens if I don't? Because love means do no harm. It doesn't mean cause no pain. And I can give you an example of my parents loving me, even though it was very painful. I had to start going to the dentist when I was eight years old. None of my baby teeth would come out, so they had to every six months I'd have to go in and have four of these huge baby teeth that had roots that were five miles long had to pull them out so that my permanent teeth could come in so that when my permanent teeth came in I could get braces and I mean it just went on and on and on I got to tell you I've got quite the dental history but when I smile at people I am so thankful that my parents helped me endure that pain that they did not give in and say oh it's too painful for little Cindy so we're just going to ignore it and move on see Love means do no harm. They weren't doing the dental work on me. That would be extremely harmful. But it doesn't mean that love doesn't cause pain. So sometimes I have to look at what the outcome is. If I'm to really address serious things with myself or be truthful with myself. And in the process of doing that, I need to be kind and gentle. Because kindness and gentleness help so much when we have to feel some pain. So when I'm kind and gentle, this does not mean I'm enabling myself. It it doesn't mean I'm avoiding necessary growing pains. It doesn't mean that I'm not addressing the things that, that are allowing my life to be harmful or unhealthy. So what I want to ask myself is how do I feel and what behaviors occur? What happens if I don't be kind and gentle and loving toward myself? How can I take a stand and confront others in a healthy way if I don't or won't confront myself? So see, sometimes I need to intervene on myself. And the most loving thing I can do for ones I love is take responsibility for me and not act like a child hoping someone will intervene and stop me or save me from myself. You see, Jesus has already done this. That was his job. So it's now our responsibility in relationship with others and ourself to support the work that Christ has already done. So he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. God loves humans. Don't hate your humanity. God doesn't. So if you don't remember anything else about this, just remember, I just want you to take care of yourselves. You are valuable, loved, and we need you. The enemy wants to make you think you don't matter, and that's a lie. So how do we do this? Well, we stop the negative self-talk, the negativity that's within us, and that inhibits a kinder, gentler, internal world. So we've talked in previous shows about how negativity actually damages the brain. So we need to stop the negativity and increase the positivity ratio. This helps us to bring a kinder, gentler version of ourselves into each relationship we participate in. So how do I turn down the negative self-talk? So if you're a negative self-talker, you may not even realize it. It may be more unconscious at this point. Remember, the brain is hardwired toward negativity. So it may be second nature or automatic. One of the ways that we become aware of our own self-talk is truly tuning in, truly listening to yourself the way you might listen to a dear friend or a loved one. You know, I love uh, WebMD Web and I use a lot of their information. And this woman, Joanne Barker, she put together this great article about this very thing and so I took some pieces from it and, and want to give some of this information to you. And it, it addresses negative self-talk and what to do. And firstly, we want to realize that it's not all in your head. It, it's a way of creating its own reality. Negative self-talk has a way of, of self... Uh, it, it generates itself. And so it has its own um, spiral that it does. And it has a way of creating its own reality. Just like telling you you can do something in a way of making it happen... Telling yourself you can do something also makes it come true. So self-talk indicates how you relate to yourself and how you show up for other people. And that's important to understand. The self-talk dictates how I relate to myself and how I show up for other people. So people who think negatively tend to be less outgoing and have weaker social networks than positive thinkers. And multiple studies link positive emotions with more satisfying relationships, more romance, and lower divorce rates. So secondly, we want to stop the downward spiral. So negative talk can be like a runaway train. Your mind goes around in circles as it's replaying a negative event. And your own shortcomings, you know, the more you focus on negative events or shortcomings, the harder it is to put them behind you. And research shows that happy people do put bad days behind them and look at how better off they are now. They are constantly reframing the way they think. They are constantly looking at the positive in whatever negative has been. And they are looking at what they have learned from whatever has been versus what they should have, could have, would have, if only then what they should have done. So we really want to get a a handle on understanding our own negative self-talk and how we talk to ourself. And much of that self talk is often learned from the way that we were raised. So I want you to tune in to how people around you are talking and listen to the language that they are using and realize that's a lot of how they may be talking to themselves. Because many times as we talk out loud about ourselves, we reveal how we talk to ourself. So I want you to be tuning in to yourself as well. What are you saying about yourself to others? as we really are working on stopping that downward spiral. So thirdly, I can talk myself out of it. I can talk myself out of negative self-talk, and I can change the negative self-talk, but I do need a plan. So there are four things that I can do to make this happen. Number one, I can distance myself from the self-talk. Now, I can't banish negative self-talk forever, but I can take a step back, So when you notice the negative self-talk occurring, you need to say something to yourself like, oh, thank you for sharing, or it's interesting that you feel that way. Anything that causes you to see it from an objective third-party position. And using that practice is very helpful when you are being more self-critical, if you have a tendency to be uh, over-analytical about yourself, condemning everything you think and say and do, the way you look, the way you act rehashing things. Oh, I thought I did okay, but I think that person's mad at me or oh, I shouldn't have handled it that way. Now they're not going to like me. I'm going to be a failure. I'm going to mess up that relationship. They'll never call me again. All this type of rhetoric that we hear in our brain. And what we want to do is we want to step outside of ourselves for a minute and we want to look at ourselves as an objective third party observer. Now, would an objective third party observer be as hard on me as I am being on myself? Would they be saying the things to me that I am saying to myself? Would they be as critical? Would they be as castigating? And so I want to really get some objectivity about, wow, how am I viewing this? I am maybe making a, major, a minor, a major, so that I can get some perspective. So I want to distance myself from that self-talk. I can also tell myself to shut up. I can say, don't talk to me that way. Nobody's allowed to talk to me that way. And I can get a handle on my own self-talk as I create a more positive, gentler, kinder relationship with myself. And then I can distract myself. You see, overthinking involves focusing on this train of thought that goes around and around and around. And you think you can stop the train of thought by focusing on something else. So it's very important that you distract yourself with something. And many times using the Jesus prayer or the tax collector's prayer helps. You just stop. And you say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so the third one, like we were saying, you call them out. You give, you give your negative thoughts a third degree. You say, you can't talk to me that way. And you say, if I made a mistake, I'm going to learn from it. And we use Romans 8, 28. We also can save negative self-talk for later. We can set aside a time every day for negative self-talk. If you hear yourself blaming, comparing, doubting, condemning, write it down. All those thoughts. Tell yourself you'll come back to it specific time, period of the day, and you will address it at that time, just as if you had an employee complaining to you. Because remember, your brain works for you. You don't work for your brain. Fourthly, we need to make it a positive. This means I talk to myself like I would talk to a friend. I coach myself the same way I would a friend. I say things like, I'm confident, I have the skills I need, and I'm going to trust myself. You be your own best friend. You be Jesus to you. You be a Christian to you. So next week, we are going to focus on the external world as we worked on the internal world today and how to have a kinder, gentle relationship in my inner world so that I can manifest that in my external world. And so I'm so glad that you joined me today. I really want you to remember to be kind and merciful and gentle with yourself. And I know that sounds so trite in some ways. But I want you to know that's how God treats you. That's how he feels about you. He understands his design and he knows that we need kindness and gentleness. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me on my Facebook page and on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com and have a great week. We hope this week.
0: past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you.